Assalamualaikum and welcome to another episode of the Dr. Will Show, where I interview educators and entrepreneurs on leveling up. Each episode, I zoom in someone who's dope. Would you sit back and have a conversation on what it means to live your best life? Now, if this is your first time checking out the podcast, this is the Mobile University for Entrepreneurs, and I am your host, Dr. Will. Today's guest is Sarah Saeed, and we're going to be talking about mindfulness and getting into what it is, how she practices mindfulness with students, and sort of what does that actually look like, right? I know when I first hear it, you know, I, I think of you know, uh, crystals and incense and little music, and I want to know... Is that it? Like, what does what does it look like? And so, for those who be listening on Apple Podcasts, you're like, no, it's not. Those are Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Simplecast, Stitcher, Spotify, and Audible. Will you please introduce yourself, Sarah? Hi. So my name is Sara Saeed. I have been in education for about 18 years, and in those 18 years, I've flip flopped roles a few times. Um, I've been a teacher. I've been a curriculum coordinator. I've been a dean. I've been an ELL director. I've been an ELL and equity director in one role. And I've been an assistant principal. And guess what? Now I'm back in the classroom. Um, and it's, it's never been better. And so when you say mindfulness and you're like crystals and stuff, I, I think the first level of mindfulness is really looking for that balance. And so when I made that trip back to the classroom, that's really what it was all about. It was about having that balance and having that time to where, you know, my life isn't my job. And I think a lot of times as educators, we label ourselves by our profession and, you know, there's so much more to us, right? There's family, there's children, there's friends, there's activities we do outside hobbies. And so really mindfulness starts with finding balance and thinking about your priorities then all the fun stuff when you're talking about crystals and stuff happens after that. All right. So I'm always curious as to how people got to where they are. What did you think you'll be doing when you were growing up? And how did you find yourself in education? So I thought I was going to be a lawyer. Um, and, you know, some people are like, well, you still act like one. No, I don't. But <laughs> that's what they say at home. But, you know, I just... I went into pre-law, you know, and a lot of times in my community, our parents want us to do these professions, like become doctors and become engineers and become lawyers. And we feel like that's an expectation, right? And so when I started college, I majored in English with the intention of being pre-law. And then I went and got my teaching license and I'm like, I don't even like this law stuff. So um, it's just not the way I wanted to live my life. And I started student teaching. And I was just like, hey, I'm here. I'm done. I'm, I'm doing this. I, you know, I even thought after student teaching, I'd go to law school, started, you know, my first year teaching. And I was like, this is it. I'm going to be in schools. All right. So that's all right. So what is the story behind you and mindfulness? Right. And, and I want to throw this on top of that because you're a person of faith. And for some people, they hear mindfulness and they look at their faith and they sort of 
are like, hey, can what is this? Does, will, is there a conflict there? Does it coexist? Um, what is that? Because as you know, in our faith, you know, there is something called shirk. Mm-hmm. Right. And so anything that you sort of put in reference to God is a hey, that's a no-no. And then there is innovation, beta, of certain things that okay, this is added that ain't supposed to be be there. So how does someone reconcile the practice of mindfulness? with their faith i think like even when you look at so i am a certified yoga instructor and some people go whoa you know aren't you crossing the line there and it depends on how you're crossing the line um when i teach a yoga class you won't hear me say namaste at the end um because what that first of all it's a few things one it is sure to me it is sure but also um i also feel like it's appropriation of another faith and i think and then you know, sometimes I'll have people in my classes go, you didn't say namaste. And I'm, I'm like, that was purposeful because that was in, in, in respect to my own faith. But it was also in respect to other people of different faiths, too. Um, and so when I when I do a yoga class, it's really about the asana, which is a movement, but also that relaxation. And you can have that relaxation without getting deep into chakras and, um, you know, talking about third eyes, like you don't need to do that. Um, And so that's really like when I teach a yoga class, it's asana, but it's very, um, the the Hinduism is not there, if that makes sense to you. Mm -hmm. Um, And so there is time for that savasana, which is that rest. You know, I do use some of the Sanskrit to describe the moves because it's just movement. And so there is that time of um, savasana, and during savasana, it's just sometimes I might just talk to people about their own empowerment. Um, I try to just keep faith out of it when we're talking about that practice. Um, and when it comes to mindfulness, like I think prior to doing yoga or any of that, for me, the, the five times a day prayer is um, first important and that comes first. So, you know, when I think about my own routine, when I wake up in the morning, the first thing I do is pray Fajr, which is for those of you who, may, who are listening that don't know, that's the Muslim morning prayer. And so usually um, and the way that my day is structured is really nice. My prep period hits at the hood time. So I'm able to make wudu at school and do the hood. And then um, I'm home in time for Asar and then Maghrib as well. So for me, like that is priority. Mm. And yoga, I do two to three times a day or a week, but the prayer comes first. That's more central because that's more central with your thinking, right? But meditation, you know, as long as the meditation is pure and well-intentioned, it's it's fine. And sometimes you might make dua during your meditation, or you you might, you know, you might be be thinking about God during your meditation, and that's okay. Um, and so that's where my lines are drawn mm-hmm. and like i said i have people in a class that are disappointed because i don't say namaste at the end and sometimes they just don't know the meaning of it that's good so what resonates with you about this whole idea of being centered or making space to be centered and how do you 
work with students in sort of mindfulness and in meditation? And I think what it is is they need to know what it is. Um, a lot of times, you know, kids, you know, you, teachers try to do meditation with kids and the kids are like weirded out. I've made that mistake before too. The kids are like weirded out. They're like, what is it? And so it first comes with teaching mindfulness. And so when I moved to my new school, they actually have a course for them. And instead of doing lunch duty, all us teachers, it's called sale. All us teachers teach that course. So it's really like we are directly explaining, this is why you would do meditation. This is why you, um, this is why, you know, this is why you need to take care of yourself. And so it's a group of us that actually I'm on the committee that writes the curriculum, but really like when I walked in there, the group of teachers that are already in there had it set where they had mindfulness Monday, team building Tuesday, wellness Wednesday, thinking ahead Thursday and focus Friday. And sometimes we do fun Fridays. And so it's kind of like a, a 30 minute class for that. And we, you know, we really dig into the castle standard. And right now we're writing learning targets for those castle standards and integrating them with the activities we do and being very direct as to why we need to take care of ourselves. Um, a lot of students come from places where nobody's really talking about that. Um, you know, parents are working two to three jobs and that's the model they have, you know, being a daughter of immigrants, you worked, or immigrant parent, one of my parents is an immigrant parent, you worked hard and your productivity was your value. And I think in the community I work in, that's what my students see. You know, the productivity of working this many jobs or doing that is their value. And so they have to be educated and understanding that sometimes you need to stop. You need to learn to plan. You need to learn to um, have even your own toolkit. Like we worked with students two weeks ago to make a self-soothe toolkit, which was really a pamphlet. And that pamphlet um, is something they carry around with them. A teacher created the template for that and we all used it. And so it's really just teaching those skills, not just saying, okay, let's do meditation now. Because they really don't know what that is. Um, and I do um, have a yoga club on Fridays. I really had to get buy-in from the students in order to come. Because some of them are like, what are you doing? Um, and some of them now look forward to it. Um, and it's, you know, it's kids that you wouldn't think would go there and they do and they enjoy it. And right now we're doing a 30 day, 30 minutes a day for 30 days, breast cancer challenge where, um, I gave them like a little tracker and they're, they're tracking what they're doing. Um, but then every Friday they come to my class and the kids who come to at least two of my classes, we're, we're working on an incentive for that. So take us into that class where you're walking students through the process of sort of figuring things out. Because you say you have this curriculum that you're integrating with, with them. Tell us more ab about that and what do students actually experience? So what they experience is a lot of times it starts with me, me or the person I teach with giving direct because there's two of us that teach it. Um, they paired us. Um, teaching direct instruction. And so we give that direct instruction and then sometimes it might lead into meditation or it might lead into a team building activity. It's depending on the day. And, um, it, you know, sometimes I 
sometimes I kind of change it up to where it may not be the lesson that was there. Um, I do it based on the students and how they're feeling. Sometimes I look at them and I'm like, okay, we might need a little more energy in the room. And so um, I have them doing what they would call sun salutations in yoga, but we don't do the planks or the downward dog because can't do that in a classroom. Or I might integrate some chair yoga strategies just because I see that their energy is low. And then they're like, okay. So it's, it's dependent on the day. It's dependent on um, what's important. Also in my room, there's a self-soothe corner where kids can check in and um, they can get something that they need within the five cents. Well, I do four of the five senses because with taste, it's a little different in a public school, but the four senses that they, you know, they can utilize. And what's really popular in that area right now is the scented putty. It's like aroma. It's like essential oil infused. And what I do is I tell kids like, you can take this, that's fine, but you got to know how to use it too. And so you have to explain to them, well, when you, when you're feeling about of anxiety, this is what you do with the putty. You don't just throw it. You don't just put it all over yourself. Like, you know, this is what you do when you do it nonchalantly. And they do, they're very, the high school students are different than elementary students. Elementary students, it takes a lot of coaching. High school students, they got it. Um, And so that's really where I'm at with that. I've also been teaching my students how to use a fuel wheel. And this is something I integrated in my English classes where, um, you know, a lot of times they're upset about something. They don't know how to articulate themselves. Um, You know, instead of like cursing, you know, here's here's a, a wheel that has different words that you can use to describe what's happening in the moment. And so a couple kids, first, some of them laughed and they're like, really, you, you want us to do this? A couple kids later were like, oh, can I get one of those? <laughs> Keep that in my bag. So, I mean, like, it, it's dependent. Every day, though, I do ask kids to check in with me. And that's a private check-in where there's QR codes on the desks, one for check-in, one for check-out. So I just know how they're doing. Um, I think a lot of times, and this is in my English class, not even in my SEL class, it's my English class. A lot of times teachers um, sometimes trigger students to where you know, the teacher didn't know what was going on and they've asked the student for something or, you know, they've said something the student gets really upset about. And so I say to them, you know, it's your responsibility to tell me this and you're going to do this privately. Um, and I keep paper copies too. And there's, because sometimes kids' cameras are broken on their phones. Um, but I keep paper copies and they tell me like, if there's something going on that day or if they're feeling a certain way, I've learned a lot about my students that I didn't know through that QR code, certain um, neurodivergent, you know, disabilities they have that I don't have documentation on, but like, you know, later you get that documentation through, you know, your 504s and your IEPs. But sometimes they tell me before I even receive it. And I know that, and I know how it's impacting them. And so that's really key to teaching mindfulness is learning the students, learning you know, their needs and helping them articulate those needs because you're not going to be able to achieve mindfulness if you can't tell people what you need. How do you get students to buy in and be vulnerable in this process, uh, which I assume is key if this is going to work? So they have to not only open themselves up, but be open to the process. How do you get them ought to do that so they feel safe and and they follow through. 
I feel like first you have to provide that model yourself being vulnerable. And I know sometimes teachers don't want to be vulnerable in front of their students, but you know, if you're not, then there's not that, that trust, right? Um, and so there's things that I disclose to students sometimes and like, whoa, we didn't know that about you. And, um, you know, things about my past, things that I have going on that they don't know. And so I think the more that I do that, the more they disclose too. like, you know, having gone back to the classroom, it's kind of like having to learn how to ride a bike again when you haven't ridden one. And so like, I remember the first few weeks of school, I, you know, I used to always do this when I was a middle school teacher, I would ask kids to tell me about their good things, you know, what good things you have to share. And I asked my high school students and they're looking at me like crickets. And I'm like, you know, you know, they got, you know, you feel like there's crickets, you know, you know what I mean? But then like, I realized, well, because they don't trust me, they don't know me. And so sometimes good things for a while, good things was me just saying, hey, this is good and this is going out of my life. And I think eventually then I have those kids that are like, okay, one, I feel sorry for her because she's sharing and nobody else is. So I better share something, but also they see the model of, okay, she feels safe sharing with us. So we're going to share with her. And again, it takes um, time to mm-hmm. build that. Um, and I also think that sometimes, you know, one of the things I notice is, you know, not in my setting per se, but in other settings, I, the middle school, high school world, it's quick to, well, consequence, consequence, consequence. They do this little thing. We want a consequence. Um, having been an administrator, I've had teachers that would come into my office and say, hey, why didn't you do this? You know, I wrote this up. And I think one of the things as a teacher is when you want to build that vulnerability, you have to give grace um, to students and also deal with things yourself. Um, you know, so there's places where I've had things in my classroom that, you know, aren't, aren't going to hurt anyone that happened, right? They're not going to hurt you. They're not going to cause a safety issue, maybe a disruption, but not a safety issue. And that's where I've had to turn to students and say, okay, I'm going to handle this with you. This isn't going to be a dean's office thing. This is going to be a me thing. And this is how we're going to talk about it. And I feel that they respect you more. They're willing to open up to you more, um, and, you know, you actually have less classroom management issues. Um, and so, like I said, the buy-in comes through being vulnerable, through being honest, um, admitting your own mistakes, showing them you're not perfect as well. Mm. So in walking them through in the work you're doing, how do you get them to sort of recognize what is a trigger but put in sort of action steps for them to where they understand it's okay to, let's say, feel the emotion, feel the anger, mm-hmm. but understand that you can't act upon that anger, particularly with saying certain type of words or, of course, anything violent. Mm-hmm. But, you know, because in the moment, and again, these are you know, younger people and their brains aren't, uh, de- you know, developed as someone to say, mm-hmm. you know, my age. And I can tell you that I can still, something can happen. I can still go get lit up like that. Um, how, what is that like, you know, working with someone and saying, oh, oh, okay, if this happens, you feel, okay, this triggers you, you feel that anger, 
or you you feel yourself getting upset and it's okay like it's human it's natural to have the feeling but how do you redirect those feelings into a positive outcome for yourself so that you don't quote unquote have these negative consequences or where you don't carry this with you beyond this moment so i keep a thing in the room and the kids laughed at it at first it's like a triangle and it's got like little sets of feet it's called the peaceful fat now in the elementary setting because i was in the elementary world we call it peace feet right i call it peaceful path which i guess i googled it and other schools are calling it that too and really, like, I take them through the process. Like, I had a girl one day tell me, oh, there's this girl and I can't stand her, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, let's go through the process. Okay, first, let's acknowledge what you're feeling. Or let's, let's, let's state the problem. Then let's acknowledge what you're feeling. And then we're going to talk through your steps of how you're going to deal with it. So she literally walked it. She's like, for real, you want me to walk through this triangle? I'm like, yeah, let's step on the feet. Let's walk through the triangle. And, you know, that student and I, I don't even have her in class. We have a really good relationship. She actually comes to me literally every day to tell me about something. But, I mean, it, it worked. Um, sometimes you, and, you know, that, that triangle actually, like, gives them space to understand, like, visually how to solve a problem. And, but also it gives them space to vent. You know, in that middle part of the triangle, they get to vent. And I think that sometimes, um, you know, you can, you can work through a problem with a kid you can tell them how to solve it doesn't mean they're gonna doesn't mean they're always gonna do it right next time you know they're still gonna make mistakes I think it's important one to let them vent whenever they need to vent and you know sometimes I think as adults we used and I used to do this we used to get preachy oh no you shouldn't do this oh no you shouldn't do that now you gotta listen to them you gotta you gotta show them that you empathize with them and then talk it through with them um and so th- those are some of the things that you know, I've in older age, I guess I'm almost 40. I've learned how to do with them. Um, and I think that when something does arise and they're heated and you know, maybe a mistake did happen, you have to walk them through the why of why they made a mistake. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So, uh, what is your advice to those educators who are thinking, I want to work with my students differently. And I don't want my first reaction to be, here's the referral form, or the first reaction to, let me hit the buzzer, you're going to the office, or even calling the parent, but maybe they start to implement mindfulness and meditation in the classroom to where, as you mentioned earlier, things are getting solved there versus escalating to a point to where you can stir the pot even further or even create resentment between, you know, that student and yourself because, oh, she just sent to the office, she sent to the office. Uh, how should they go about not only learning about mindfulness, meditation, like what are some great resources for them and how should they then turn around and and begin to implement that into their classroom? So I think it starts with them, right? 
like if you're if you're you're you know if you're heated if you're edgy all the time it's not going to make for a good classroom climate um so it starts with them educating themselves or finding a way to get educated about you know the students in their classrooms their needs their cultures um their home lives like it starts with that first because you have to have that empathy right um in administrative roles you know, multiple administrative roles, multiple buildings where teachers would come to me and say, well, this kid did this and they did that. I felt like teachers weren't looking for justice for the kid. They were looking for justice for themselves. And that's where a lot of people don't understand, well, restorative justice, it doesn't work. No, because you're not understanding what the justice is. And so, um, you know, sometimes it's teaching kids what I call natural consequences and sometimes the natural consequences, you know, you, you said something and now it had this impact and this is how you're going to learn from that impact. This is how you hurt someone. This is how you, you know, whatever. But also I think, you know, finding that mindfulness in themselves, sometimes teachers get heated because they are too overwhelmed and, you know, they're different spaces that create that, you know, sense of being overwhelmed. I'm going to be real. Um, sometimes teachers make themselves overwhelmed. I'm be honest. I'm going to be honest. They make themselves overwhelmed by getting involved in the drama that's not even theirs. Um, a lot of times, you know, you go into schools, you know, and I've worked in seven different school environments throughout my career. And you go into schools and there's always that one crew, right? There's always <laughs> one crew in the teachers in the teachers lounge and um you know they're they're the ones that are squawking and then other teachers get involved and then they get stressed out about that um you know and i'm not saying don't talk to your colleagues talk to your colleagues in a collaborative way have those have those collegial relationships but when it comes to the drama especially if it's not yours stay out of it um and i think that it creates like a feeling in in the school like you know that's usually one that will say oh my god i feel this i feel that i'm I'm mad at this administrator. I'm mad at this person. I'm mad at that person. And it kind of becomes contagious, right? And so it creates really a climate that um, that isn't appropriate for the school. And, you know, sometimes it comes from the leadership, but sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it's that one or two or three teachers that just don't even want to be there, um, you know? And so I would say for your own mindfulness, um, you can eat in the teacher's lounge, you can, you know, whatever, but be mindful of who you talk to in your school building because um, sometimes, you know, you might have that joy and some people are bothered by that and keep your joy, keep your, keep your happiness, keep your, you know, I've learned that over the years, keep your happiness. Um, you know, I'm grateful that right now I work with a team that's very collaborative and they're really about being for the kids, but I've worked in the past, I've worked with teams who aren't like that. And so what I notice is it's like one or another to another to another, and they get upset and they're stressed out and everything becomes a, a stress trigger. Oh, we got this email. Oh, this happened. And it's, it's something that isn't even meant to be a trigger. And so mm-hmm. keeping yourself in your zone and remembering your why is key, but also making sure you don't say yes to everything. Um, and that's something I used to do where um, I didn't set boundaries. And so my, my administrator needed something, my board, need, anyone that needed something. Oh yeah, sure. This teacher, that teacher. 
Yeah, sure. And then what ended up happening was my time was taken up. And it's kind of like this, when you take in all the issues, whether you're a teacher or administrator, when you take in all the issues of the school, um, you don't have enough like piece of you left for you. It's almost like you're throwing it all up. And so I think that's key for teachers because what happens is, you know, all that stress comes back on the students. Mm. So it, it does start with them first and finding that mindfulness. I went through a program called Breathe for Change, which is a beautiful professional development program. It was transformational. It was actually how I got my yoga certification and how I got into this. Um, Dr. Ileana Nankin, she, it's developed by her. It was actually, I think her doctoral, I think it was her doctoral dissertation and then she turned it into something else. And so um, finding a program like that, um, I self-funded mine, but if schools can pay for it, that's even better um, because it does count as professional development. And I'm actually going into the higher tiered program now. So it's a 200 level, gets you a 200 RYT and yourself, your, your SEL facilitator as well. And then there's a 300 level where you get your 500 RYT um, for yoga certification, but then also you become like a trauma-informed learning um, teacher and coach. And so for me, like, you know, that, that was critical and just kind of being creative with how you do things in your classroom, like that self-soothe station I have, I just came up with that. Like, I was like, okay, you know, let's think sensory, let's think this. I've seen, you know, places of therapy teach, you know, adults how to have self-soothe kids. So I'm like, why don't we do this with kids? Like, you know, and also like, I took some time to really learn a lot about dialectical behavioral therapy and cognitive behavioral therapy and, you know, just finding, you know, strategies in there to utilize for myself, but also with students in the classroom as well. Hmm. That's a lot. Hey, I hear you. I hear you. It's, it's, you, it's a lot and it's much needed. I'm glad you brought up how teachers need to take care of themselves first uh, mm -hmm. because look, when you, when you're off, you know, you're human just like the kids. And I think sometimes yeah. we look at children as children and don't think of them as people. And people in general, you know, we all come to these different spaces with our own different experiences and, and backgrounds and uh, things that we deal with. And, you know, when, when that trigger happens or you had that bad day in the morning or you had a bad night, you know, mm -hmm. the, there's no telling what you can see or feel or experience with someone that sets something off and it's just going to be just downhill from there if you know what i'm saying it's, it's, it's not addressed in a positive mm -hmm. in a positive way so i'm glad you brought that, that up i think sometimes like i, I want to call this the teacher bestie syndrome when one teacher has emotions their their grade level team certain colleagues take them on too and that's not good for the kids. Awesome, awesome. Thank you, Sarah, for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Thank you. You're welcome. See, I have that Southern tongue, so I can't say your name like you say it. Uh, I'm going to have to practice. I have to practice on that. Uh, so thank you for coming on. It, it's been great. 
uh, to have the opportunity to speak with you and for you to share uh, your gems with the audience. Uh, you're welcome. Alhamdulillah. Now, people, you know how I do this. This podcast episode is going to be on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Simplecast, Spotify, and Audible. I need you to subscribe and I need you to share it with your network. And though I'm on all major podcast platforms, I am trying to grow an Apple Podcast. So I need you to subscribe and I need you to listen. Okay. Don't just say yeah, clicking the button is fine, but please listen and give me some reviews. Give me some stars because I'm trying to be found and I'm trying to get Jay-Z on the show because I want him to know, know that we're doing big things around here. Again, I'd like to thank my guest, Sarah Saeed, for coming on and dropping so many gems and for you for checking out another episode of the Dr. Will Show. As always, people, invest in you. EDU, peace.